Inside this series, I'm really revisiting some old messages over the last decade or so that I've preached. You could actually call this my remix. <laughs> but I'm doing it through the lens of asking and answering the question, trying to answer the question, how does faith actually make a difference in your life and invite you, call you, empower you to live differently in the world in order for your light to shine so that people might say you have to kind of live differently to live like Jesus lived so let's get busy here as we look at this uh, opening uh, passage in the gospel of Mark chapter 10 one of my favorite passages and if you are able to stand please stand so that we can honor the reading of God's word if it's difficult for you to stand for whatever reason please you can be seated and just participate from where you are All right, listen to this scripture. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Jebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Why don't you say that with me? Say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your, everybody say it together, servant. God, thank you. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I was reviewing some of my Facebook posts the other day, and a video popped up of Denzel Washington, an iconic uh, actor in our time. And it depicted him bringing a commencement address to at one of the great universities. I was uh, uniquely touched by the three major points of his address to young people who are graduating and going out into the world. He essentially said that if you look at him, he was saying to the young people, And if you were inspired by his life, and if you wanted to kind of enjoy or experience uh, the success that he had experienced, if that's what they were thinking, he said he had three basic words of advice to them. And the first word of advice was that he challenged them to put God first. Everybody shout, put God first. I think they were surprised to hear that come from him, but... But, but he would go on and share his story about how that made a difference. And then the secondly, 
point that he made was he challenged them to aspire not to make a living, but to make a difference. And the third insight that he gave them uh, was to live a life that is shaped towards serving others, blessing others, giving to others. And in his own way, what, what Denzel Washington was saying was that his faith actually mattered in his life. And he was suggesting to those who are about to graduate that faith should matter in their life as well. Tell the person next to you, faith matters. Faith matters. So we want to examine this text that is before us and look at some of the ways in which faith can matter, can make a difference in our life, while at the same time calling us to live differently in the world, in our relationships, on our jobs. First of all, notice that the text says that they were on their way up to Jerusalem. Everybody shout Jerusalem. Three things that were distinctive about Jerusalem. The first thing was that Jerusalem was the seat of political power. I think if Denzel was here, he would tell you that he grew up in the church and later as a teenager left the church uh, before later on God overtook him. And probably he would articulate what some of us may have experienced growing up, which is the negative side of this notion that, that one of the reasons that we see that people may come to church is this notion of gathering influence. And sometimes it's, it turns out pastors and deacons and elders fighting each other inside of the church. And, and for some of us who are even here today, we say, yeah, that's right. And that's why we stopped going to church because we concluded, you know what, if we wanted to see that, we could see that on CNN or Fox News or whatever the case, that we need not see it in the church. But if Denzel was here, he would also say to you that he learned later on a real reality, and that is, guess what? The church is made up of broken people. And when you get a gathering of broken people, every now and then broken people act like they're broke. And so we should never, from the pulpit all the way down, we should never be shocked when we discover broken people in the church. You can be redeemed and still broken. And if Denzel was here, he would also say to you, on the other hand, the positive side of the note, what he's experienced in life, that if you seek after God's wisdom and God's will, that he will position you, whether as a parent in a home or a leader in society, he will position you also as a person of influence in the world. But he wants you to live like Jesus lived. So in that way, faith can matter. Secondly, when we think about Jerusalem, it was also the center of religious Ritual. All the folk here in this text, they're gathering there, they're headed there for the Passover. Another great reminder of why, uh, why we gather and come to church. We, we enjoy, many of us, the, the, the ritual uh, that happens in the church. We, 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 we enjoy the, 
the, the, the, the prayer that we saw uh, Pastor, Tilden, uh, Pastor uh, Tilden and Pastor Dan Monroe lead us in, and the solidarity of prayer. We enjoy the, the music of worship, and, 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 and we enjoy the, the engagement of the message that should be inspiring and informative and all of that. And if we really take it seriously... Hopefully, we'll go home and we will imitate some of those rituals. Those rituals are designed to reinforce truth in our lives. So maybe you'll go home and, 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 and you'll be inspired enough to practice praying the way that PDM, uh, uh, PT prayed. Or you'll start humming the songs that we've been singing about the, the power of God. Or maybe, just maybe, you will find yourself sharing with a child or a colleague or a spouse or on a date some insight that you heard from the message today. In all those ways, faith begins to matter in your life. Tell the person next to you, faith matters. Tell them faith matters. Now, one of the ways that we should examine ourselves, and and it's it's all positive, uh, is look at there are four groups in this particular text. And they reflect at least four different lenses through which we can look at our own faith development. Now, the four groups are uh, begin in verse 32. You'll notice that in verse 32, uh, the first group I want to just call the crowd. Everybody shout crowd. 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 And and in verse 32, you'll notice them there because it says uh, that the, the disciples were astonished. But those who followed Jesus were afraid. See, astonished, and those who followed were afraid. That's the crowd. Shout, those who followed. In other words, these are people who kind of joined along. There are hundreds of people headed towards Jerusalem and for Passover and Jesus out in front. And there were a number of folk who just joined in, you know, uh, as he was passing, joining the parade, if you will. And Jesus would, would walk a while and teach a while, walk a while, perform a miracle. And they're watching him. They're very attractive to what they see. Uh, perhaps they saw him lay his hand on a leopard who... Who, who no one would touch, but Jesus would touch him with a touch of love and heal him. And they say, wow, we really like that. And, 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 and no doubt they either heard or, 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 or maybe even experienced him feeding 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and, and, and a couple of fish. And, 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 and surely they say, my goodness, we, we like that. If we hang around Jesus, we don't even need a credit card. I mean, he, 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 he knows how to feed us. I mean, you know, they see the miracles, the expression of love there. They're attracted to it. But they don't know Jesus. And they're confused about, or don't really even understand his mission. But they kind of like what they see. Shout the crowd. The crowd. The crowd. And then there's what we call the, in this text, the disciples. It says the disciples were astonished. I just called them the believers. These are people who've kind of been with Jesus for a period of time, uh, uh, not just days, but some months and maybe even over the course of the three years. And, and, and they have bought into Jesus, but they haven't quite bought into his mission. It's another lens. All good groups. And then the third group 
is really seen in when it says, and he took the 12 aside. Notice the 12 is capitalized there. That's, uh, he's referring to the, inner, the, the, the 12 disciples. We usually call disciples that we think about the 12, but that was really the larger group in this text. The, the 12 refers to those who would inherit the mantle of leadership. And, 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 and they, along with the core, the inner circle, uh, Peter, James, and John, which we see in verse 35, Peter's not there, but James and John is there, uh, uh, they kind of they compose the last two groups, and, 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 and they, 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 uh, they, they have bought into Jesus, they have bought into his mission, if you ask them, the only problem is they kind of have an immature view of what that mission is. And yet all of these groups are important. All right, so let's talk about the first one. Why is it that it says, they that followed the crowd, why were they afraid? Everybody shout, why? All right. Have you ever entered a conversation at the wrong place? I, I tend to do this, uh, uh, or it has been done by me, uh, at home, uh, I usually will, from time to time, walk into my bedroom, and my wife is there on the phone, and uh, she's already been talking to somebody that we both know, maybe for 15 minutes and or 20 minutes, and and I enter the room. I'm not eavesdropping or anything. I'm just kind of like in the room. It's my room, y'all. Come on now. <laughs> and I'm just there to take care of business, doing whatever I'm doing. But since I'm in the room and she's talking in my room, I hear the conversation. And since I kind of get a sense from the conversation who she's talking about, at some point, uh, 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 I hear something that will cause me to want to interject a correction or some advice or some insight. And so I interject. Say interject. <laughs> almost inevitably my wife will say excuse me excuse me a moment my husband is in the room just wait a moment and she'll put her hands over the phone and she will say you don't know what you're talking about please be quiet <laughs> come on let's just say, just say it out loud just say please be quiet this feels good it's not that I, I'm not smart or whatever the case is. I couldn't figure it out. The problem is, guys, is that when you enter the conversation at the wrong place, it's highly possible that you will draw the wrong conclusion. That's part of what's going on with the folk here who I call the crowd. They're just kind of joining the journey of Jesus. And when they join along, Jesus walk around and teach a while, walk around and teach a while. And in the crowd, you know, are the believers and the core and people who've been with him forever. And now he's about a day before the whole crucifixion starts. And so he's teaching advanced theology. Come on now, advanced commitment. And so if you read the chapters, uh, two chapters before, you'll find him start talking about some high standard stuff. Shout high standard. I said the stuff he says, uh, uh, early on he says, you know, if one of you calls one of my little ones to sin, you just want to put a, a, a millstone around your neck and throw yourself in the sea. Uh, and then in a few more moments he says, uh, by the way, if, if your right hand causes you to sin, uh, you ought to cut it off because 
it's better for you to go uh, into heaven with one hand than to go into hell with two. Come on now. And shout high standards. And people are like freaking out. That day is like, wow, what is he talking about? And then a few moments later, he, he starts talking about his standard for marriage and for divorce. And it's completely counterculture. Shout high standard. And then later on, he talks about uh, a, a, a young man comes up to him and says, uh, you know, I've kept all the commandments, so just tell me what I need to do next. And Jesus says, you've kept all the commandments? He says, yes, I've kept all the commandments. Jesus says, okay, you have only one more thing to do. And the crowd is listening. You know, they're listening. And, and he says, go sell all that you have and follow me. And, and, and shout high standards. And these folk, they don't know Jesus. They haven't been around. They just, you know, they've seen a miracle. They've heard some good stuff. But now they're listening to him. They enter the conversation towards the end of the journey. Y'all see what I'm saying? And they hear all this high standard. And so the text says it leaves them feeling afraid because they want Jesus. But they're saying, look, Jesus, if you're talking about cutting off hands and messing with how I get married and all that kind of stuff, wait a moment. I wish I could have you, but oh my gosh. And the text says, those that followed, the New Living Translation says, was filled with fear, they f- fear high anxiety, felt a sense of threatened. But they entered the wrong way, the wrong point. Here's what I mean. When Jesus first invites us to follow, this is how he does. Come here, Chris, come here. This is how it does. It's just, so come stand right over here. Chris didn't know that this was going to happen. So, so just pray for him. Pray for him. Just, <laughs> just stand here. Now, when, when Jesus first invites us to follow him, if you go to the same book, Mark chapter 2, verse 14, you'll notice he passes a, a, a tax collector, uh, Matthew. They call him Levi in the context. And, and, and he worked for what we would call the IRS. And, and, and just like today, folk don't like the IRS. They didn't like him. Uh, but unlike today, uh, a lot of people work for the IRS. It's honest. He was dishonest. And, and he had a horrible reputation. And all Jesus said to him, when, when, when he got his attention, he says, follow me. And Levi leaves his table and he follows Jesus. Now, stay right here. And, 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 and this is at the beginning of his faith experience. And, and Jesus does not say anything to him about cut your hand off or sell everything that you have. Or doesn't say anything to him about marriage. Doesn't say anything. See, at the beginning, because he doesn't know who Jesus is. So, so at the beginning, he just says, follow me. Shall follow me. And then over the course, to stay right there, over the course of, 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 of three years of following Jesus, come on now, uh, 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 they learn that, that Jesus is, is full of grace and full of forgiveness, that he is for them and not against them. And ultimately in the text, they'll be reminded that the day will come that he will, he will die on the cross for them and rise for them. And so it's at that point in chapter 8 when he then declares, come on, you've been with me for three and a half years. He then declares, I let anyone who will follow me, come on now, deny himself, pick up his cross as the instrument of death and follow me. He starts off saying, follow me where Chris is. But after I've walked with him for a few years and he, I get to know him and trust him and believe in him, he says, now I can ask you, come die with me. But you see the distance? You see? You see the distance? You can go give God a hand praise for Chris. 
What am I trying to say? So Jesus comes along beside us and he moves us step by step by step by step. The scriptures, psalmist says that he leads us, that the steps of a a godly person is ordered by the Lord. He leads us one step. And that, that's huge to what we try to do here at the church. Uh, when you just show up, we just try to, we try to follow Jesus' lead. We, 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 don't, we don't try to tell you about all the stuff you got to give up because you, you don't even know why. Because you don't even know who Jesus is. You don't even know that he's for you and not against you. You, you have no sense of what, what he, how, how his mission ties to your life and, and, and all of that. So we just kind of want to come alongside you and, and begin to help you. But hopefully there is movement in your life. Shout movement. Come on, hopefully you're growing and you're taking steps and you're being measured. And, and one day you'll discover that Jesus starts by saying, give me your hand. But at the end of the day, he's going to end up by saying, give me your life. Trust me with the totality And if we're really the church that God has called us to be, we're helping you with those steps. Movement. And so, there's the crowd. Well, the disciples, the larger group of believers, why were they astonished? They've been with him, pastor. So, why were they astonished? Well, they had reached a point in their development where they believed in Jesus. Shout, believed in Jesus. They had bought into Jesus, but they hadn't bought into his mission. For them, it was all about Jesus and them. You know the story, uh, uh, one of the favorite stories that uh, I like to tell is that the little boy won a sweepstake got to go to the supermarket and the rules was that when the whistle blew he had one minute and whatever he could put in the basket in one minute he could keep and so the, the crowd was there the press was there it was a big deal manager was there the owner was there so the whistle blew and the little boy froze and his older sister standing by him, like most older sisters, started fussing at him and scolding him. Go, go, go. What's wrong with you? Blah, 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 blah. And the little boy froze. And as the top clock clicked, something hit him. And he pushed the basket down the aisle as fast as he could. Standing at the end of the aisle was the owner of the store. He runs right into the owner of the store. And the owner falls into the basket. He wheels the basket around and brings it back. And he barely beats the clock. And his sister is fussing at him, and everybody said, sister said, what's wrong with you? You were supposed to get stuff, and you went and hit the guy. What's wrong with you? And the young boy said, I know what I was doing. This is the owner. And if I got him, I got everything in the store. And, and to some degree, that's where some of us have grown in our faith. That, 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 that. That our experience of Jesus is that we want him in our basket. 
We want him in our basket so that we can have everything that he has. And you know, there's a truth to that. The uh, scriptures, Roman tells us that we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. But the problem is that if all you see is, is Jesus kind of like a Santa Claus, at some point you're going to be theologically confused. Why? 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 Well, let's keep rolling with the text. He then takes the 12, shout the 12, aside. He says to them, all right, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem because my work of salvation and redemption happens right in the middle of real life. And when I get to Jerusalem, uh, they're going to deliver me to the hands of the religious leaders. And then they are going to condemn me and they're going to hand me over uh, to the Gentiles, the Roman officials. And these Roman officials, I'm living right, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my saving work. I'm showing you who I am right in the middle of broken life, but I'm always moving towards redemption. Come on, everybody shout right in the middle. Right in the middle of broken life. And watch, watch me, I'm not getting around, I'm not ducking, I'm going right straight in the middle. And, and, and by the way, if you follow me, you're going to come right down that same road. Come on now. And so here I am, I'm going to be spit upon, made fun of, I'm going to be beaten beyond of physical abuse. Uh, ultimately, I will be killed, murdered. Like those kids in Santa Fe school, murdered. Period. Everybody shout period. That's how the NIV puts it. Put a period there. Then it says, but three days, I'm going to rise again. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that amazing? Come on now. And, and, and what he's singing to them, watch me. Because notice when I asked you what I asked you to do, I asked you to follow me. Shout follow me. Follow me, follow me, follow me. And if you follow me, you're going to follow me right into the middle of broken life. Come on now. And I'm not going to promise you that, that you're going to somehow escape the brokenness of life. No, 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 no. If you're going to follow me, you'll, you'll wake up struggling with sickness. You'll wake up in the middle of divorce. You'll wake up in the dealing with car accidents and, and knee replacements. If you, you're going to follow me right in the middle of the brokenness of life. Uh, uh, and you're going to have some prayers that that you're going to want me to answer, but come on now, I'm not Santa Claus. I'm, I'm driving a plan that is greater than your dreams. Y'all ain't listening. And so when I say no to the prayer, I'm working something greater out, and you've got to trust me. But here's why you can trust me. After life has done its worst, period, if you're locked into me, I'll have the last word. And it'll be a word of resurrection and victory and hope. So hold on to me. All right. So here's the misunderstanding. Now, so what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that some of us have gotten this point in our faith. But if we stay there, we'll be messed up. And so we enjoy pastors who teach us all these different formulas to get God to somehow answer all our prayers. But the fact of the matter is, if Denzel Washington was here, what he would say is that the fundamental lesson he learned, because his parents divorced when he was 14 years old, 
He got hooked up in a gang. He walked away from the church. He figured faith really must not matter if his parents, who were always in church, divorced. They couldn't hold their marriage together. And daddy was disconnected from him. And so he got into trouble and all of that. But, but in retrospect, y'all, come on now. He said, but God never gave up on him. And, 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 and God opened up an educational opportunity. And then God opened up an acting opportunity. And then before he knew it, God had turned his life around. And for a few years, listen. Listen, he thought that God was participating in his story. Come on, driving his dreams. But later he discovered that, no, Jesus has said, follow me. That at the end of the day, Denzel said, I was participating in God's story, in God's narrative. He gave me the gifts. He put acting in my heart. He opened up the doors. And when I figured that out, I started asking for his guidance and his direction. And I'm here to tell you, Denzel says, Faith matters. Put God first. Well, the point I'm trying to make is that where James and John missed it, they never grew, at least in that moment, they had not grown past the point of feeling like Jesus should always be about their story. And so, what did they do? He just told them, when I get to Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen. They wait till they can get him by themselves. Evidently, they didn't understand it. Come on now. They believed in him. You told them they the mission. They said, yeah. They wait to get him by themselves. And then they say, uh, Jesus would you give us anything we ask? You see, it's this notion that Jesus is supposed to be about their story alone. Jesus says, no, I showed up in your story, but it was to lead you into my story. Jesus responds, well, what do you want? And they said, well, let one of us sit on your right and the other sit on your left. And listen, we'll let you decide which one of us sit where. As long as one is on the right and the other is on the left. Watch this. In your glory. Now, come on now. They had a misunderstanding of his glory. What they were saying was, well, we believe that you ultimately will become, the, you're, you're, you're the appointed king of the Jews. And so when you sit on your political throne, come on, then one of us will sit on the right and the other will sit on the left. And let's not tell the other ten. Jesus, they missed it, right? Because yes, Jesus is the appointed king, but he's not just king of the Jews. He's king of kings and lord of lords. <laughs> He's called the rule of the universe. Come on now. And there will come a time where everything, Paul says, will be placed under his feet. That's part of God's story. Come on now. Their story was too small. Too small. You see? You see? See, God's plan for your life is bigger than a new car. 
It could include a new car, but it's bigger than a new car. God's plan for your life, come on, is, is greater than a promotion. It can include a promotion, but it's always bigger. It's, it's tied to something bigger in your life. God's plan for your life is, is bigger than, 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 than answering yes to all of your prayers. He will, his plan will ultimately require him to answer no to some of your prayers. And if you know that you're here to serve his plan, you won't stop coming to church when he answers no. But if you think he's just supposed to be in your basket and he says no, you'll quit on Jesus because he's not helpful. Now, I, I like this text as it unfolds. This is where it gets helpful for me. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I had been leading these folk, and then they come up to me like that, let's exclude everybody, one on the right, one on the left, minimally, I would have been frustrated. I would have called them uncircumcised boogers. Like, like you've been with me all this time, and you have missed it? Wow. But, 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 but Jesus is so patient. And, and he, 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 says, he says, so he asked him a couple of questions. What's this? He says, can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink from? Now, they don't know that that cup symbolizes suffering. So they say, of course we can. They think it's political power. He says, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized of? And they've not made the connection between a few verses earlier. Uh, he's talking about death, y'all, but they don't know that. Come on now, they think they're talking about his coronation. They say, oh, yes, we can be baptized. Oh, yes. <laughs> and see, see, at that point, good God Almighty, see, that's where I'd be the one to kick him out. Come on. But, 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 but Jesus, watch him. Now watch him. He, he, rather than dogging them, he speaks confidently to them. He speaks prophetically over their lives. He, 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 he says, he says, you know, I know y'all don't know what you're talking about, but I, I, I know. He says, one day you will drink from the cup that I'm drinking of. You will suffer for me. One day you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. You will die for me. See, he, he's basically saying, just keep living and you're going to see me die and you're going to see me rise from the dead and it's going to create an explosion of trust in your life and then you're going to discover how much I am for you and how my life is tied to redeeming history and you're going to want to be a part of it and I'm speaking confidently over you. Come on now. You're broken, yes. You're slipping and sliding, yes. But I have confidence, Jesus says, that the day will come you won't be perfect but you will be faithful and I'll be able to use you to do great things in life. Oh my gosh. Is that not the message that I pray that you hear proclaimed from this pulpit weekend after weekend? I pray that some of you have come in here and you're feeling like I'm slipping and sliding. I'm drinking and dipping. Come on now. Nobody has confidence in me. I just kind of drug in here because, you know, I hope I could get a girlfriend and she said I got to come, you know, uh, different reasons. But, but pre, I'm just, I was going to sit through the sermon and, and, and I'll never be holy. I'll, I'll never be religious. I'll, 
I'll never be a Jesus follower. I'm not good enough, but, but Jesus told me to tell you, you're not here by accident. He's ordained your presence in this place. He's got confidence in you. The day will come where faith will explode in your life, and who knows, you might preach. Come on now, who knows? You might lead a church. Who knows? You'll be a CEO leading like Jesus. Confidence. Jesus says, if you just let me keep working with you, I got confidence in you. Well, let me bring this to a close. Here's the other part of the text that I, I really like. Watch this. Because when, when, he, when he says to them, watch it, he says, so you will be baptized. You will drink. He's not saying with an attitude. He's saying with confidence. He then says, but to give you the seats on my right and my left. He says, I can't do that. He says, he says, those seats have been prepared for somebody. And, and, and what he was saying, is, listen, listen, let me get back into it this way. One of my favorite quotes, Pascal said, he said, he said, there is a hole in the heart of every person and it's in the shape of God and only God can fill it. I, I believe that, I believe that. But then as I've walked with Jesus, here's what I've discovered. There is a hole in the heart of Jesus it's in the shape of you and only you can feel it <laughs> seat represents a place a place and I don't care if he's got seven million people crying out his name if you're missing out of your place he's longing for you he, he's, he's desperate for you. <laughs> in other words, he said, and I don't care how many people join the church, how many comes into the kingdom, come on now. I've got a place shaped just for you and my purpose and my plan, and nobody can take your place. Whew. Isn't that amazing? Oh, my God, I love that. That's why he said, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, and take your place in my heart then it concludes here's what I like here's, we're on Memorial Day we're talking about people dying for our country and the country here's, what it, here's how it concludes the other 10 they hear about him the text says they're indignant verse 40 they like you went behind our back they wanted to fight and, and these are going to be the folk who inherit the kingdom come on now and, and as I show you we're all broken so Jesus oh no 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 don't fight come here come here this he says you know how people who don't know me how they use power right he says how they lord it over people they use it to dominate they use it to elevate themselves you know they they, they use it over say over verse 43 new living translation says like this he says but with you you should be different i say he says you will be different 
In other words, you, you're going to use power differently. Come on. In other words, you're going to live differently. And it begins with how you think about using power as a CEO or as a parent or as a politician or whatever the case. So let me just say this. Let me just say this. If, if, if there's any politicians listening, I, I, I just want to argue that if Jesus was here, he would say to you that when you think about America's agenda in the world, we're always at our best when we use our power to serve others. Come on now. To bless others. To elevate others across the world and in our nation. Come on now. If you're a CEO, if you're a teacher, if you are a parent, if you're a counselor, just learn Jesus has said that, that you are always at your best when you use whatever influence you have to be a blessing to others. And that's where Denzel stops at today. He says, look, Put God first. Second, dream of making a difference, not a living. And third, let your life be shaped like Jesus and let it be a blessing. Live to be a blessing to others and then God will bless through you. And there will be no question in your mind. Yes, your faith matters. Give God a hand praise.